wondered why about two-thirds of the Bible is narrative, why Jesus relied so heavily on storytelling as a way of communicating. Well, you know, about two-thirds of people are oral learners rather than literary learners. And yet all of our approaches in evangelism, making disciples, they rely heavily on a literary approach. Hi, I'm Steve Addison, and this is a Movements Podcast. Today we're going to be hearing from Steve Pilato. He's a, a trainer with a wealth of experience in Southeast Asia, training people who are out multiplying disciples and churches. So sit back and have a listen to what he has to say about the importance of orality. If you're a literate learner, your preferred literate learner, your thinking process is that you present a thesis statement and you come up with supporting points to, to support that thesis. Quite often the thesis is an abstract idea. Okay? And that's, that's the way you present things. That's the way we learn over here in the literate camp. People in the oral learning camp learn in terms of concrete stories that happen in the real world. They tell things in the order that they happen. And they cannot tell, not tell you them in the order they happen. And if you interrupt them, and they're about five steps to getting to the real event that's to happen, and you stop them, and you say, like, well, what's the point? They're going to get very frustrated with you, and they're going to go on. And then I got into my car, and then after that I got out my black wallet. And all these things are important to set the stage. So in Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus is an oral learner. A lawyer comes to him. The lawyer is probably over here in the literate camp. Then the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, like lawyers do, asks the question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives an answer that's perfect for oral preferred learners. If, were you ever frustrated with Jesus' answer, who is my neighbor? No, you loved it. There's no, there's no list. There's no bullet points, friends. Your neighbor has to be people of any culture. Your neighbor has to be someone in distress. Your neighbor has to live down the street. You know, we want a list. You, you literate preferred learner people, you, you needed that list. Jesus never gave a list. He told a real life story, step by step. Here's what it happened. That's what it is to be a neighbor. That's how the oral people work. It's a totally different construct. Your preachers back home think that they understand the oral learners. It's a fail. They do not. You know why I know that? Because they think in terms of propositional abstract thinking. They think in terms of thesis and supporting points. The only thing they've changed is a supporting points or a story now. Here's the principle I need to teach you. And let me tell you how I know that principle is good. Story one, story two, story three, sit down, we're done. He thinks he's now bridged the gap to the oral preferred learners. Fail. He hasn't bridged any gap. All he's done is he's stuffed some new stuff in the old form. You need to move out of this abstract propositional thinking over into a linear, concrete story world of thinking. That's, one, that's the huge mental shift between the literate and the oral learners. What else was I going to tell you about that? Well, let's look at your handout. 
Ah, I know it. Don't look at the handout yet. The missions community, here's how missionaries got into orality. For the last 20 years, this is like the cool thing, right? The problem was those poor tribal people can't read. And we're really handicapped in making disciples because they can't read. So SIL and all those people, they start literacy programs. That's the answer. Get them to read. Problem solved. What they fail to observe is that the whole thought process are in different worlds. And so even if you get them to read, they still don't want to learn from written stuff. Besides, it's very slow to get people literate. So that didn't work. So the problems we observed is all those poor tribals that can't read, we got to tell them stories. But as I've gone into this field, I, I believe that oral learning preference has more to do with culture than literacy. Now, if you can't read, of course, you're only stuck with oral learning methods. So it's important. But literacy is not the driver. Let me give you some stats. In the U.S., 50% of the population are preferred oral learners. But about 97% of the population can read the English language. That tells me half of those people who can read do not like to take things in through literate means. They prefer to learn things orally. In, in uh, Bangalore, where's your IT center down there? It's Bangalore, right? That's sort of the Silicon Valley of India. You have a lot of PhD graduates fluent in probably three or four languages, have a PhD from either somewhere in England or the U.S. Um, these folks are preferred oral learners. Can they read and write thick ten technical manuals? Absolutely. Is that how they want to take in important information? No way. Story T for T was developed amongst PhD computer geeks in Bangalore because it works. And when they want to sit down and talk about something important, it's an oral society. We know India is an oral learning society. And they can, they can play the literate game over here, but if they want to get down to brass tacks and change worldview and change the way people think, you've got to do it in the way that's meaningful to them, and that's oral learning preference. So why do oral teaching? Why bother? I've got, now you can look at the handout right in the middle of page one. I give you about seven reasons. Why do it the oral way? It's not just because those poor tribals can't read, although that's, that's going to get you over into this field. It's because most of the world are this way. Some argue two-thirds, some have argued 90% of the world. I don't know. It's more than half. Most people prefer to learn orally. Thai people are preferred oral learners. Okay? So, three points in a song, so put it aside. Have a question. While you have a preference for oral learning, mm -hmm. um, can oral learners learn the, the literate approach? They can, but you're, you're kind of forcing them. Okay, and if it goes back the other way, literate people learning through an oral method? They can, but it's... No. Okay. You're going to have to work at it. I'm a preferred literate learner. I fit over in this literate camp. I've now learned how to learn things orally because I realize people I'm teaching, that's going to work better with them. Okay. 
I know you use the word preference, but is it a product of our education system that we're probably taught in literal way? Um, and so I think I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, for me to learn an abstract concept, I'm probably taught to do it the literal way first. The literate way. The literate way no, literate. first, mm -hmm. then the, the oral way. That's right. It is part of our worldview, it's part of our educational system, it's part of Greek Aristotelian logic. It's a way to teach important things, and we have a frame of how that's supposed to go. Unfortunately, most of the world is not in that perspective. So that's why I say oral learning preference is not just about literacy. And oh, those poor tribals, they can't read. Okay, so why should we use an oral approach? Most of the world's over there, 55 to 65% of the Bible is narrative, so oral teaching reflects how the Bible teaches. Jesus was an oral teacher, who is my neighbor. Perfect example of an oral answer. Okay, there are many examples where there are better results in evangelism and disciple making when an oral approach is used. Okay, the poster child is the TIV, the TIV people of Nigeria. Missionaries working hard for 25 years and see like 250 people come to faith. And they realize, oh my goodness, these people learn through song and drama. So let's teach the word through song and drama. Oral. 250,000 people come to faith in about two and a half years. Basically, the same group of godly, hardworking missionaries changed their approach so that it fit the context. The result, huge. Huge difference. Okay, member equipping is better accomplished amongst oral learners when an oral approach is used. So your people have a tool they can go use. So if you're over here and you teach the Bible in this literate propositional approach like they did with the two, and people are busy taking notes and diligently studying. They don't have a tool that they can go use. So they're not really equipped to go do the ministry. They've just been given information and they're stuck. And a lot of Christians just have the information and they're stuck. So now, if we give them an oral approach, something they can use, boom. They're equipped to go do the stuff. Worldview is best changed by the introduction of new rival stories. And if you think about growing up in Christ, it's really about making a shift in worldview. From what I believe is the way everything works to what does the Bible say is how things really work. What are God's basic presuppositions about how everything works? We need to come into alignment with what he teaches through scripture. So, so an example of a rival story would be the Good Samaritan. Because... Jewish listeners are expecting, okay, three characters, the third guy to come along will be a layman, you know, an ordinary mm -hmm. Jewish guy. And Jesus springs on them, it's a Samaritan. That's a rival story that challenges their worldview. Absolutely. And flips the whole around. Flips the whole thing around. Yeah. Excellent. That's exactly what we're talking about. You're going to tell a creation story. Well, in their culture, they had a creation story. You've now introduced 
a rival story that people begin to contemplate as a group and say, okay, what's the truth here? Okay, it's not just about literacy. It's a group process. That's the other layer of orality. This literate thing, once, once we had the written word, you know what happened sociologically? People went into their book. It's now me and the words. I take in stuff all by myself. It's a very individualistic way to learn. Oral societies only had one another to learn from, so it was a group process in learning. And that's the other layer we've added in to our DBS or T4T groups is, the, is this group process. And so oral learners are all about the group and the community and learning things together. And so it's not a person of peace, like one individual superstar who's going to take the ministry forward. Hurrah. It's going to be the community and that context. It's a household of peace. The person of peace only opened the oikos. The, the real deal is the family, the whole household coming to faith. And that is facilitated by a moral learning process and the group stuff. So, what I wanted to get into today was I was going to model you a story, which you would learn. And then you would learn your own stories and you would get up here and give it, give it go at just crafting and telling the story. You put it together in an oral way and then come up here and do it. And we'll see if you kind of, how you're doing we're going to be pressed, but I want to still basically follow that plan. I'm going to model a story and get you guys engaging with it. And then we're going to ask some of you that are, you see this as part of your ministry to pick one of these stories and you'll, you'll learn the story. Let's go to page two and then I'll jump into the story. On page two, you're going to see... Page two is on the back of page one. A process of how to learn a story. Since you're literate and you can read, we're doing this for you. So you get out, you pick out a story, and you're going to read it out loud. That's really important, the out loud. Say that with me. Read it out loud. So that the sound comes into your ears. That's a key part about oral learning. Literate learners, there's no sound. See how I'm getting all that? <laughs> so, we, we literates, we got to hear our voice speak. Because in the end of the day, we're going to be up there telling these Bible stories. Okay? Then, what's the next one? Pray. God... You know my brain is full of holes. You know that I leap left and right. So help me to retain and remember this word. And then you're going to do it again. Read the story out loud, nice and slow. At that point, you're going to close, close the book and just say it back in your own words. Then you go back into the word and check. What did I forget? What did I add in? If you're a preacher, you're going to add in stuff. Look out. If you're not... A preacher like me, you're going to forget stuff. But the goal is just stick to the story. What did it say? Get it all in there. Retell it. At that point, I like to use a recording device. Once I retell it again, I'll record myself. And then I'll listen to that recording and compare it to the scripture. Am I really 
faithful to what's there or not. And you just self-correct. Then you can add in some hand gestures. Maybe divide it up into episodes. Okay, well, this story's kind of in two pieces. So we'll stand over here and tell piece one. And I'll kind of move over here and tell piece two. And you, you kind of get some mental anchors. So I'm, I'm just going to model a story. This is how you learn the story. And we're going to have you pick one of these stories and... We're going to go through this process here on page two and teach yourself that story. So that's how you go learn a story. Now let's do it the group way. Another way to learn the story is I'll just tell it to you and I'll take you through some steps and you get it. So if you don't know how to read, this is how you would learn it. So here's my story. Let me give you a little background. Jesus has been... He's been staying at, at a man's house named Simon. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's quite famous. And he's just gone on a big circuit trip where he's gone to many, many villages. And he's coming back to Simon's house. And that's, that's where the story opens up. It was reported that Jesus had come back to town. And... Uh, and people gathered until the room where he was teaching was packed with people. Even out around the house were people standing. And there were four people who carried a paralytic, hoping to get to Jesus. And when they got to the house, because of the crowd, they couldn't get in to where Jesus was. So they climbed up onto the flat roof of the house, and they dug a hole through the ceiling. And then lowered the paralytic down on a mat right in front of where Jesus was. And Jesus, seeing their faith, turned to the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, there in the room were some teachers and very religious people. And they were thinking in their heart, Who is this fellow that even forgive sins. Only He's putting himself up equal with God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing exactly what they were thinking in their heart, turns to those religious leaders and says, what's easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then turning to the, to the paralytic, he says, son, stand up and walk. And that paralytic stood up right in front of everyone, picked up his mat, and walked out. And everyone was amazed, saying, we have never seen anything like that. That's my story. Now, let's do it again. This time, I need a little assistance. We're going to do it a little creative way. Can you just um, stand up and just anything in your pockets? Would you just give it up here at the table? iPads, uh, wallets are good. You know, we just, just, don't worry, you'll get it back. Most of it. Which I don't think you really want. Well, yeah, I'm not swapping. You're going to embarrass yourself. Too bad, you know. You just want an object, so I'm going to pocket. Your purse is just jumping out. 
Oh wow. You got keys. Keys. Keys are all over here. I'll find you all. The recorder has come. All right. So. Sorry about that. So. Let me tell you a story. Jesus has become quite famous. Casting out demons, healing the sick. And he's been staying at a house of, of a man named Simon. Here's Simon. And he's just come back from a long trip. And that's where my story begins. So Jesus was in the house and people had gathered from all over the town. The ordinary, uh, the sublime, religious, they'd come until the house was filled with people and even around the house was packed with people. And there was a, a man who was paralyzed. And his four friends, okay, carried him carried this paralytic to get to Jesus. But when they got to the house, there was no way to get into Jesus. So undaunted, they climb up, up onto the flat roof of the house. Sorry about that, Simon. And they dig a hole through this roof. And they lowered, they lowered the paralytic down right in front of where Jesus was. And Jesus, seeing their faith, <laughs> turns to the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, sitting in the room there were some important religious leaders who have a lot of clout. And they were thinking in their hearts, who is this fellow that puts himself up equal with God? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing exactly what they were thinking in their hearts, turns to them and says, what's easier to say to this paralytic? Stand up and walk. Or to say, your sins are forgiven. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Turning to the paralytic, he says, Son, stand up and walk. This man stood up. (laughs) Picked up his mat. And he walked out right in front of everybody. And everyone was absolutely amazed. And praised God saying, we have never seen anything like you can you can take your things. 
But only take your own things. Yeah, that's right. We've got the keys. You got the keys. And we have a wallet. So we have one wallet left. Certainly. What we're going to do now is we're we're going to ask you guys to retell the story. So this is the bouncing ball. <laughs> and I'm just going to randomly start with someone and you begin the story. And you'll say a sentence, a phrase. Just do a little bit. And then you, you have the liberty of taking this and you'll toss it to the next person. So you, you need to be tracking with everything that's going on. So as our group member, we'll, we'll see how we do. Okay? So we'll start... <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> so, Jesus came to Simon's house and he'd been preaching around the area, teaching and healing people, casting out demons, and he was very famous. The story begins with him coming back. Simon's house. So Jesus was uh, in the house and a whole lot of people heard that he was going to be there and mm-hmm. so word went around and there were all sorts of people. There were common people, there were important people, all sorts of people were curious and came to check out what Jesus um, had to say to them. And you're adding in quite a bit of stuff here. Okay. So the place came until it was filled, filled. with people. Okay. Inside and outside. Uh, there was there were four uh, friends who had uh, who had a friend that couldn't walk, who was disabled, and they heard that Jesus was in Simon's house. And so they wanted to take his spare friend to Jesus. So, who's with that? <laughs> Jesus came into Simon's house for one of the nobles that he left. Sorry, say it again. So, they came into the house, the four men. Jesus came into Simon's home. We already got that. Yeah, you got that? Yeah. And, uh, a lot of people had gathered. There was one guy that came with a paralytic person. They dropped him down. Well, and he, give me the drama here. Four, four guys are carrying a paralytic. That's where we're at. Carrying it, but he couldn't get into the crowd, so he climbed the rooftop and removed the tiles and lowered him down in front of them. They dug a hole. They actually says duck, that's what I think. Now we want the drama here. You see, you're you're giving us the principles and okay. we want the drama. They climbed up under the roof. He, he, he dug a hole, he made a hole big enough to lower this brown person down into the ground, into the crowd in front of Jesus, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, Did he ask him? No. 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 He turned to him. He turned to him almost and he says Sins are forgiven. One more thing. Yes. We missed something there. What did we miss there? Who remembers? We just went by a really important sense. He saw their faith. 
turned to the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, let's pass the ball. Okay, this guy do this. <laughs> and the, the religious leaders that were there, there were a number of them, uh, they were a little bit up in arms at that, and they said to each other, and probably directed nope. at Jesus, They just thought to themselves. They thought to themselves. Oh, they thought to themselves. Uh, who is this person that, you know, it's only God that can forgive sins. Who does he think he is making himself equal to God? Excellent. Good. It's okay. Take a second. Yeah, what is it? These guys are thinking. Now we're going to go to Jesus. Yeah. What does Jesus do? Well, he... What does he do in response? These guys are thinking, who is this fellow? What does Jesus do? He, he says to them something about, is it easier to forgive sins or to uh, say to him to, say to him to get up and walk? That's it. Now there's one more piece to that sentence. And so then, he... he who remembers? Who can help her? It's okay, we can help each other here. Did he say uh, to show you that the Son of Man yes. has authority on earth to forgive sins? Uh, then he said, uh, Son, uh, stand up and walk. Yes. And the man stood up and walked and grabbed his picked up his mat. And did he go home? Or did he just walk? Yeah. He walked out in full view of the mall. Yeah. Who's next? No, no you've kind of done your piece. You've done your bit. Yeah. And he said, so, so he walked out and everyone was amazed. amazed. And said, we've never, I'll praise God, he said, we've never seen anything like this. So let's, everyone was amazed and praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay, you've heard the story three times now. What I want you to do, find a partner. Maybe you can pick who that is. And for you literate people who are just fussed already, you are allowed to open up to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And then the, your partner is going to tell the story. No, no peeky peek, okay? Your friend, you can read the word. They tell you the story. You just check. Did they add? Did they forget? How are we doing and then, you hand the Bible to that person, and then you tell it. So if you feel like, oh, I need some help, you get the Bible, have your partner tell it to you. You can help, okay? You don't just sit there with your arms crossed. If they're kind of stuck, you give them a little prompt. Okay, Jesus is going to ask next. Oh, okay. Or, what's next? Okay. So find a partner. One has a Bible. One doesn't. I need to switch. Okay. Done, Mr. Stewart? Okay. Do I have a volunteer who would like to come up and retell the group? Who would like to come retell the group? If you don't don't know, then I'll just throw a pen into someone and you're gonna do it. Okay. 
You want to stand there? You want to stage? <laughs> Jesus came into a place called Capernaum, and uh, he was all together, Simon Peter's home, and uh, four men heard that Jesus was there, and he healed the sick, and so they brought a paralytic, but they couldn't get to him, so they climbed the roof, uh, climbed the house, and, and removed the roof, dug a hole, and lowered this paralytic person on the pallet into the crowd in front of, the, in front of Jesus. I think that's not the part of it. But uh, Jesus saw him, and he says to him, that uh, he says to the crowd that I have never seen such a faith uh, in a man. And uh, so at that point, he, he says, uh, Son, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And nearby, these uh, rabbis and the priests were uh, going through their mind, and, uh, uh, and Jesus perceived that what's going on in their heart and he says to them uh, why are you reasoning in your uh, heart about all this it is it is better to say to a man that your sins are forgiven and to pick up and to pick up your your things and walk and um, so uh, he did that's what he said and this man <laughs> what are you missing here? What's, where am I going? Man? I'm getting messed up. There you go. I'm rushing the stores. Help me out. Help me out. Is it better? Is it easier? Is it easier to uh, uh, say that your sins are forgiven and uh, uh, and that you are? You're, uh, and, and, uh, no, and then he, he said, yeah, you are healed. And get up, pick up your your, your pallet. You pick up your pallet and walk. And so he, that's what the man did to show you that the Son of Man, the Son of has Man, authority has authority on earth on to earth forgive sins. Forgive sins. And it turns the paralytic. And then he turns the paralytic into your. And he says to them to pick up your uh, pallet and walk. And so he did. And all the people were amazed. And uh, at the authority uh, of Jesus, and they praised Him. They, they praised. They, they glorified. They glorified God, God saying, saying, "We've never seen anything, never like, seen this. anything like this right. before." Uh, not not uh, not priests and rabbis, but just scribes. Right. Uh, and. Uh, it was Steve's assumption that it was Simon's house. That's not in the text either. You just assumed because it was Capernaum. Because he said he's back home. Back home, yeah. And uh, that's identified as his home. Although it could, it could be another house. Yeah. In my intro, I said he's been, he had been staying with Simon. Now, let me tell you when my story begins. So, yeah, I've inferred that from yeah. chapter one, yeah. that he's in fact staying in Simon's. But it's possible there was another house. Yeah.
Depends whether Simon's mother-in-law was in town because she took, generally took the guest room. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, where did you get scribes from? Uh, Mark chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah. You, maybe you've got teachers of the law or something. But it wasn't Pharisees and priests. Well, there is Pharisees in Luke. Yeah, but we're doing Mark 2. Luke has scribes and Pharisees. But Mark, which is the one we're going off, is scribes. We just had some teachers of the law. Yeah, scribes. Teachers of the law. Religious teachers, so religious leaders. When I told that story, I didn't pick any of those terms. I just yeah. said very religious men. Yeah. Thinking, I'm talking to a generic audience. Yeah. I don't want to introduce too many terms. Now, if you are working with people that understand the terms, then just pick what's in the text and use it. So, why do you discourage us adding or embellishing the story? Why do you discourage that? I'll turn it to the group. Why wouldn't you embellish? Uh, you did some embellishing when you, we told a number of us did some embellishing. It, an embellishment might be, you know, they began to pull pull open the the, the tiles and uh, broken tiles started sort of sprinkling down on the people below. Jesus brushed the dust from his face and looked, you know. It's so not in the story. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and that's probably what happened. I mean, yeah. goodness, stuff started falling down from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. the house but, owner's uh, angry. And if we start speculating about all this. Yeah, stuff, who's going to repair the damage? So yeah. why do we not embellish? Why do we not embellish? Well, it's, for me, it's, it's um, uh, the amount of information that's given at a time. That's one Embellishment might help memory, but it's still about... The key thing of this passage was Jesus forgiving sins and healing. And so if you embellish it on too much, then the main point could be lost. Yeah, because obviously Luke and Mark are very tight. The story is very, very tight. tight. Why? Because they're oral documents. Yeah. Mark were oral stories that were told carefully for years. Yeah. And then finally someone wrote it down. And you'll note it's pretty sparse in the details. Why? Because memory is limited. Easier to remember. But so, and we want to be accurate. We still yeah. want to be accurate. So is the, the parchment. And if you're writing it down, the amount of space you've got is limited. Steve, is it, is it right to contextualize for people to connect to the story in the oral um, I don't know what you mean by contextualize. We're going to definitely contextualize terminology. And, and that's part of the crafting process is to decide what term am I going to use for son of man? What am I going to use for Satan or God or angels Pharisee. that's going to communicate? Or Pharisee or Rabbi or Rabboni. What is the word culture? So you will definitely contextualize in terms of uh, terminology. Um, I don't like to embellish because I believe there's power in the word. And we want to say... I'm telling you the story. And some people actually recommend actually holding the book or having it set here so that people get the message. I'm not making this up. I don't want it sounds like Steve plus the Bible, the Bible plus Steve. I'm now telling you the story. Tell, tell, tell. That's the end of my story. Everyone gets the message over time. This is what's in here. And, and that's what the danger is if, if Steve embellishes, well, the next guy, the next woman embellishes. So, and, and so we don't have any control mechanism to say this is the heart of the story. 
And the, the more embellishment, the more our interpretation goes into the story as well. That's right. Steve, what I'm actually, all of what we see today, I'm telling you the story from the Bible. And, you know, uh, I want you to also go back, to those who can read, to go back and see that what I've told you this way. Yes, that's why I so, incorporated that into yes. our process. Yeah. So, because some of the people you work with can read. Or at least one person in the room could read, and we could say, okay, Junior, you've been to high school, all the rest of us can't read. You go ahead and you read, you follow along as we tell it. And then we look to you and say, how'd we do? And you would say, well, you added this in, or, or you forgot, or really what he says is. And so that also builds that. Now, in places where they don't even have the printed Bible, what we're going to are recorded oral Bible. And so the authority now is this as a recorded yes. story or even a recorded reading. Sometimes um, I'll say, like this story, about, this, is a, this is a story from the Bible that's very important. Or you write on the board the reference. Because maybe it's just a myth or something often. Um, and say, so, this is that famous teacher. And the teacher's name is, and the whole crap. And that's, everyone go, Jesus. Because I know it's that famous teacher. Sometimes they can actually fill in the gaps. And he went around and did, uh, I might be embellishing, he did many miracles in places. So blind, blind men could see. And they might say it was really miracles. So he was very popular. And one day he returned to his hometown. Yeah. So it's clear that you're setting the context. Now I'm going to tell you the story. That's right. That's right. But that setting the context is, is based on scripture. It's very. Simple. Yeah, I had to. I I um I got that whole storytelling, and I used to when I started, I used to exaggerate. You know, there's kangaroos, and, but there's no kangaroos in the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or but so I think yeah, just the more. But the the, the beauty of Jesus' stories is there's something universal in them. So even if you don't, let's say. Um, you you've still got a Samaritan. But maybe in India you would say it's a Samaritan. Now, they treated Samaritans a bit like we treat untouchables. And it's clear then you've added, they don't know, well, what's a Samaritan? Well, it's, it's, it's someone from another people uh, that we. That can go on talking about, you can do some pre stuff before you do the Bible yeah. story, talking about two cultures who don't like each other very well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You put that in your intro to explain yeah. the in terms. the intro. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us to page four, okay. or we're not ever gonna finish. These are taken from about five different books, so you don't have to read them. I read you know over two thousand pages on this stuff. What are the great tips out there for crafting the story? And then I tried to boil it down and save you guys two thousand pages of reading. Wonderful. So two to four sentences on, like, on the intro. Some of you are really going to struggle with that. But believe me, you've got to be really tight. Just exactly what are you doing? To bring the continuity with last week's story or to set the stage. What do they absolutely need in order to get the story? If they don't need anything at all, just jump in. Okay? Identify episodes. Does that make sense? Scenes? Now, there's only one. There's kind of two scenes, maybe, in the paralytic. But episodes or scenes help you think about it. 
and they're like mental hooks. And you might have a gesture, or you might move where you stand. Okay? Like the stuff outside the house. Should just happen, happen. Now they came in the roof and lowered it down. I've just moved. Now I'm going to tell the rest of the story from here. So there might be a little something like that, or an active verb. Like in the book of Mark, uh, Mark 5, 1 to 20, there's three scenes. Some of you know this story probably pretty well. The garrison demoniac. You know how you tie it together? Begged. The word begged ties the whole story. They're the mental hooks that you can remember. And I'm sure in the first century, the storytellers of the day, they latched onto that word and they play off of it. So we arrive... The paralytic comes and he begs Jesus, you know, don't torture me. Don't send us out of the region. Don't send us out. Then the people come back from the village and they beg Jesus, get out of here. Exact opposite. You know, don't send us away. And then the people come and say, we begged him to go away. So you've got this beg in the same gesture. And then at the end, the paralytic, or the, the demoniac's better, he comes and he begs Jesus, take me away from here. Beg, gesture. Three times. you got three perfect scenes. Yeah. And if you go through the book of Mark, I'm amazed how many of the stories you could see as a storyteller. You've got these little reminders, these little handles. And if you act it out the same way, it'll be a beg with a signal. All three scenes. And then you, you hang the story. So you hang the story on active verbs. Steve, I'm itching to ask a question. Yeah. Because I'm wondering with orality if it's just story. Because Jesus (laughs) taught using little images in the sense uh, that, you know, like uh, a log in your eye, for instance. (laughs) Yeah. But even when he wasn't using an image, he he used rhythms and and ways of, of, like... Blessed are these people. Blessed are these. There's a pattern. There's a rhythm to it, so that makes it memorable. So even where he appears to be moving away from storing into, well, here's some information I want you to learn. He teaches it in a way that is memorable. Yes. So that's part of it too. We we could actually theoretically, you could say, well, you're looking for peace and happiness. And then we could say, well, here's five sayings that Jesus gave on what it means to be blessed by God and fulfilled in life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the boom, boom, boom. Right. And you could, you could do that. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. And it, that's is that still part of orality? Because he's not so much doing a logical argument with all supporting evidence. He's just, it's more poetry than, than a story. Okay, the Bible has different teaching forms. Yeah. So you've gone to a discourse or teaching section, and you yeah. see there's some traits about the way that's put together and told. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't perfectly fit into what's a narrative section. We've yes, narrative not a narrative story yeah. sections, and so we're looking at how do we craft the narrative pieces. Now, I'm sure there's some, some play back and forth, which I haven't thought through very carefully, you know, where we could use alliteration or we can use this repeating word or phrase, and you can do that in the story. But I would, I would still, I would let that come out of the text, 
and say, do I see it in the text? When I went through Mark chapter 5, Gerasene Demoniac, it's there. Yes. It's nicely spaced. Begged, don't send us out. Begged him, please go out. Begged, please take me away. Yep. And it falls out of that. And if you're seeing that, those become your hooks and your anchors. I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, we've got to get everything back into poetry and alliteration. Now we're back to preachers. That's preacher craft. Everything's no, got to have. more than that. It's, it's the it, same syllable and the same... Yeah. No, no, it's not that. I don't think... But it's like Jesus not only taught the crowds using stories... He also taught this oral, sort of mostly non-literate people, in, in with memorable phrases like, you know, the number of hairs on your head. That's not a story, but right. it's a it's an image. That's a word picture. Or the the beatitudes. There, there's something to sort of anyway. Move, you can there move is. I just, I, I'm just saying that's probably part of the craft and the discourse teaching side. And if it's yeah. there, use it. Yeah. What I have trouble with is if we take a story and now we try to oh, fit no. it into that, and we got to all have you know ours I to think, start the paragraph. I think what I'm trying to say is we're always thinking about oh now we can tell stories. I'm also saying there's something there's parts of Jesus' teaching that aren't stories that we could also be telling as we're out and about sharing the gospel. Absolutely. See, yes. I, I try and see something like that. I ask God, God, give me the story that can show some of this, and I might do that story, but then have a follow-up to use that. And, and use those, blessed yeah, are they. That, that might be a take-home thing for them to read, or something, or follow-up. I ask God, try and give me, like, a revelation. I want to teach something about what's going to happen in the future. I've got to use, but, you know, just use the simple story of the ten virgins with the legends. Yeah. Because that was all about the future, what's going to happen, and here's some more scripture. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough from me. Okay. Um, tips on crafting. Number five, tell it in the order that it happens. Don't use flashbacks. And uh, sometimes I've actually moved something, you know, mm -hmm. this sentence before, so it's told exactly as it happened. I did that with the Gerasene Demoniac. Some people still don't like that. I moved one sentence like earlier so that it would be in chronological order. You know, Jesus said, oh, come out of him, you demon. And then the man begs him, oh, please don't torment us or send us out of the region. But in the written text, it kind of puts it after the fact. Oh, because Jesus had told him, demon, come out of him, then this happened. So I just tell it in the order that it happened. We, I think what really throws oral learners off is if you tell the story and you say, oh, and way back here, three weeks ago, this happened. Now, now, now we carry on with the story. If you do that, you've just lost your audience. Use, use actual names. And here's what I mean. Don't use pronouns. That works well in the written text. If there's a pronoun, he said, they went. Put in the name. Jesus said. Jesus and the disciples went, mm -hmm. even though it's repetitive. Yes. And I did that when I told it. Mm -hmm. In the text, there's some pronouns. Mm -hmm. He. He turned to them. Mm -hmm. I said, when I verbally did it, I said, Jesus turned to those religious leaders and said, mm -hmm. which is easier to say? 
Jesus said, not he said, they said. So throw the pronouns out and put the name of that person in. And then that makes you repeat the name multiple times in the story. The listeners then really get it easier. That way I slipped that in on you. You guys didn't even notice that. But that's intentional. Use the actual name, actual place names. However, there's a caveat. Don't put in too many names. And my rule of thumb, this is just my field experience, three new names or new places is, is the limit of what anyone can take in. And if they're weird words that they don't have in the language, like Zacchaeus or Samaritan or some you know weird, it doesn't really fit with their language, you're probably, probably two. I would not introduce more than two new names and leave something out. We don't tell them it's in Capernaum. Okay, skip Capernaum. Um, uh, so another thing we've um, mm. tried is um, show recognition when you go. We've got three. On a whiteboard, it's like I'm talking about three guys. They've got long names. We've just got the long S, M, and A. Because the show recognition can be Sam for sure. Yeah. But, but that's how. But with, um, say, Lazarus, you know, maybe. Yeah, you just pray about. It. I mean, there's different ways to do it. You could do a little hieroglyphic. So you could say, just say Daniel, okay, and his three friends, and then through the whole story. I mean, you just pray about how you're going to handle that, so you don't, so they get the story. Because well, I'm into multiplication, and if you give them seven or eight names. Forget it. You've just killed multiplication. They're all going to melt down, and they're going to say, well, i got to come to the study when you lead it, because yeah. I can't do that. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, like, if you told the story of the transfiguration. So you can say Jesus and his friends, because the story's about Jesus. Or would you introduce Peter? Well, you might want to order the stories, where you've got two or three stories. They know Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. They, they got that from earlier lessons. Then you do the transfiguration. So the only thing you're introducing is maybe Moses and Elijah. Okay? So you may have to plan this out so that you meter the names in over the story set. Yeah. Oh, that's, no, that's good to know. Yeah. What about the, the place names? Because I know you can... Keep them. Do you have to pronounce them? Or, or is that a distraction sometimes, you know, mispronouncing... You know, I, I just use them. Yeah. It, it creates a greater sense of the reality of the story to have yeah. actual, when you can, actual names of places. places. But you can just have a go at saying the name. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I, it doesn't... Sometimes I've got no idea. Yeah, yeah. just you can, Because even now, you know, some of those names, particularly in the Old Testament, um, it's an anglicised version of what that name is. Sure. And, and we've got Thai-ized versions so. in the Thai Bible. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Capernaum... Is Kapena Um in Thai. I just use that. And they know, oh, that's probably some town way far away. It's definitely not Thai. Right? I mean, they get that. you consistent in how you pronounce it. You've got to be all the time to pronounce it how you pronounce it. But they tend to go back to the fight. Okay. What, 
we'll just we're we'll right just at the end to, now. Yeah, so. let, we'll just let Steve. Everybody, we, we'll break for lunch in a few minutes. Let's just let we'll let Steve just finish out this, and we'll also send the handout around. Everyone, you keep the handout. I have a electronic version on a thumb drive, and maybe I should just hand that out right now before we get. Read that. Um, From Blaine. It's probably lost somewhere. Um, Just finish I think, out the. We'll I think the, the quantum difference when I shifted, I thought I understood storytelling. Back in the 90s, I used to, what, what I said, I would tell Bible stories. But once I learned the craft of, of crafting and telling and understood the mental differences between propositional, literate, abstract, bullet point people and concrete, literal, sequential people, I, I shifted over to here. And the, the fruitful difference was massive. I mean, we went from people that would come to a three-day training frustrated, wishing they understood what I said. And my language ability is pretty clear. I'm pretty clear in Lao and Thai. So it's not that too, wow, we really get this. And they were going back, and they could retell 20 Bible stories after a five-day training accurately. They planted churches with the tools. We used picture sets. Initially, I made a picture set, okay? My picture book, we called it. And, you know, I looked in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and, you know, some village way out there. Oh, here's a new village church. And I look in the picture. There's my, my, my picture set. I've never been to that village. But he was a downstream disciple of someone that had come to our training. And he had, he had equipped people how to tell the stories. And they used those to plant churches in Laos. So by getting the craft down, it really... It put the railroad tracks on CPM and on church planning. And on just clear communication. And then eventually we got rid of the pictures. And it's all just verbal. No whiteboards, no nothing. It's just, just you, wherever you are. And as I think about my life, I don't have time to prepare all this stuff. I'm just going down the street and bump into someone. I'm ready to go. Yeah. My challenge to myself, I'm gonna, I have about 20 Bible stories. You know, I'm just ready to go seconds notice. I'm just in a conversation. They say something. I jump right into the story. So I want to up that till I get 40 stories just ready to go in any language I speak. And just, you're ready to go, basically. And they're precise. I, you know, I spend hours sometimes till I get it down. And the story I was going to do you for today is much more complicated. So I just pitched real soft and slow to them. Steve, could I just ask uh, for the listeners? For the listeners. Um, in, all, I mean, we've got people here you know, in India or Thailand or in, in South, Grant and Sue in South Pacific. So let's say we're with urbanised, university-educated people in, in Melbourne or in New York. Yes. Would you... Would you use stories? Would I use stories? In general, I would start with the story and see if they're really struggling with it. I think there's probably some kind of rubric we could go through to check 
do I have a literate preferred learner or an oral preferred learner? If you've got literate preferred learners, you will frustrate them doing stories. So I think there are population segments out there that oral Bible storying is not going to work as effectively. According to the gurus on the subject, however, two-thirds of the world is our preferred oral learner. So you've got a better chance than not, but so you might as well do it this way. Downtown Los Angeles. Yes, downtown you, Los you Angeles. You can still be looking at maybe half or more of the people that you're communicating with. Uh, they don't need, uh, you know, four points or whatever. They, first of all, need to hear a story. That's right. Yeah. They need to hear a story. They don't need abstract principles. They want a real-life story, and then they're going to say, oh, I understand what you mean by the love of God. Don't dissect it out like a physician that says your human body is made of a heart and a lung and a liver. Tell me about Steve as a person. Yeah. You tell that story. And at least 50% of the American population are preferred oral learners, even though 98% of them are literate in the English language. But they don't have to be opposed. For instance... You could be telling stories to an oral learner and we've sometimes then bridged to, well, here's a simple gospel outline. But sure. when we get stuck in the gospel outline about, well, how can my sins be forgiven? Uh, we say, remember the story of the son who came home and his father welcomed him. You know, I said this to uh, uh, one guy. Or you can go the other way where you could be with a literate learner going point by point and then going to tell them a story. Or That's right. You would illustrate the points with stories. Literate yeah. people like that. Yeah. Pretty much everyone likes a story. But are they? if they put those stories in the framework of their thesis and supporting evidence, then they're literate. And you're using the story to illustrate the idea or the principle rather than that's all we have is we're just telling you the story and out of that you understand this is what God's love is. So whatever field we're in, we need to be able to tell stories, not just give bullet points. That's right. Yeah. My okay. challenge to you, learn Bible stories accurately. You're a full-time minister of the gospel. You should be able, without having to go back to your notes or open the Word, tell a Bible story 95% accuracy. Without all the whistles and extras. Let's uh, thank Steve for his input. And uh, could someone wake up Roger? Uh, it's almost lunchtime.